Well, we are in the fourth and final week of a series we've called Making Change. And the hope is that it would inspire you to make some changes in your life, more specifically in how you use your finances. We've been looking at kind of a whole host of ways that God has called us to spend and wisely use wisely the gifts and the the resources that he puts in our hands each and every day. Now, we've covered a lot of ground. It's a pretty big topic, so what I'm going to do before we dive in is I'm just going to recap real quick the last three weeks that we've gone through. Um, The first week we talked about how less is more, and that might seem a little silly, but the idea behind this truth is that as you acquire more, believe it or not, there's a cost, not just a financial cost to acquiring more, but there's oftentimes a relational cost with that. And we read Proverbs 17, 1, which says, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And what it's saying here is you got one house where there's, they got enough. It's not great. It's kind of some, they're eating leftovers. It's not great, a great meal. But everybody's at peace. Everything's quiet. And you got another house where they've got everything they could ever want. They could, they're feasting on whatever they want. And everyone is bickering with everyone else. And the hint is that sometimes in that pursuit of more, you neglect investing into the important relationships in your life. And so better is a little with peace than a lot with antagonism and strife and fighting. So sometimes less can actually mean a more fulfilling life. The second thing we looked at was how stress is bad. And the way we define stress was not just the anxiety you feel uh, when things are going wonky with your finances, but stress is in when you overload something to the point where it's going to break and it's just sitting there bending under all the stress. We do that with our financial lives. We take what, what our financial means are and we just max it out. We overload it, sometimes going beyond what we can even afford with lots and lots of debt until our finances are just strained and everything is a worry. And then there is real internal anxiety that goes along with it because we have too much going, around, going on in our life. We read Proverbs 25, 28, which says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and, it, and left without walls. Ancient cities, if they've been broken into and have no walls, it means they're vulnerable to everything from the outside. And if you have no self-control, every commercial, every ad, every display on the end of the store aisle, you're going to think you have to have it because that's how they gear it. I mean, there are people, their entire lives, their entire profession is to get you to think, maybe I need that. And you will be vulnerable to that if you have no self-control. And so the key to minimizing stress in your financial life is going to take self-control, so that you can say no to you. And a lot of people kind of hate when you talk about this because they think all you're doing is trying to say no, all you're doing is trying to take all the fun out of my life, you're such a stickler for numbers, and uh, you're ruining my life. But here's the thing about self-control. Self-control is you saying no now so that you can say yes to something better later. It's you saying no to something now so you can say yes to something better later. That's what self-control is. Is. Now, week three, we talked about how giving is good. And I've yet to meet the person who will argue this. You know, th- standing up and preaching, giving is good. I knew that was not going to be a controversial topic. I've never had anybody send me a mean letter saying, How dare you? How dare you say that giving is good? Because everybody just agrees with that. But here's a, a, a truth that I think everybody knows, even non Christians will tell you, uh, can say these words, especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas. They don't know that they're in the Bible. But we do. These are actually the words of Jesus, Acts 20, 20, or Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. We've all heard that, and maybe you didn't know it was from Jesus. Well, it is. Those are red letters in a red-letter Bible. And, and so we all know that giving is good, but there's a, a t- kind of a problem, a disconnect, you would say, between what we believe and how we live. There's often a disconnect. We say giving is good, but the way we live and think and act shows that we don't actually plan to give. We don't actually budget anything to give. We give kind of on a reactionary basis. Like if somebody comes up and says, Can, I need a little money for this charity. Oh, okay. Then you're reaching for your wallet or your pocketbook and you're trying to find dollars and spare change because you didn't plan to give. Yeah, it's good. And I'll get to it if I maybe someone asks for it, but we don't plan to do it. So it must not be that good in our minds. So we talked about that last week. And if you want to listen to any of those messages to get the full, full point, you can go to our website, loamicc.com resources. Now today we're going to talk about another one that I don't think too many people would argue. Tomorrow matters. Tomorrow matters. All of us know that the future, to some extent, is important. But it's another one of those topics where we got a little bit of a disconnect between what we believe and how we live, right? We say tomorrow matters, and yet sometimes we live in such a way that it seems like maybe we don't really care that much about tomorrow. Uh, I think part of the problem is, when it comes to us trying to focus on tomorrow, is that we live in a world of instant gratification. And that trains us to not look forward. Because, you know, like, if you go back 200 years ago, think like frontier days, 1800s, they had to plan ahead for everything. They had to think ahead about food, they had to think ahead about warmth and and clothing, and and they had to think about everything, everything they had to say. When the winter comes, we got to have enough. If we're going to go in the summer and make this big trip somewhere to see family, we got to plan, 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 plan. We don't have to plan for anything that people plan for, used to plan for. Like, I don't have to plan to store food in the cellar, okay, make sure I got enough canned goods for winter. I don't have to do that. In fact, I don't have to plan for what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. I could wait not think about dinner all day, 5 o'clock rolls around, and my kids go, I'm hungry. Well, what do we want? Pizza. All right, let's get in the car and go get a pizza. I don't even have to plan even a little bit for that. Um, I have an Amazon uh, Prime subscription, which entitles me to two-day shipping on mostly anything I could ever want or need, and even not need, or not want. There's, there's everything on there, right? And it's amazing. I don't have to think about stuff. It just I click and it shows up on my door two days later. It's just absolutely amazing. I don't I don't even know what time or day the shows I like air anymore. You, I mean, my favorite shows. I don't even, I don't know if they're a Tuesday night show at seven. I don't know if it's Wednesday nights at eight. Maybe you don't either. You DVR it. You set it. And then whenever you get around to it, it's wait, they're waiting for you. Actually, I have a, a thing called Hulu. It's an online subscription. Most shows show up the next day. I don't know when they air originally. I just watch them when they're there and carry on with my life. It's amazing how we don't even have to plan ahead. I remember as a kid, I used to plan. I used to live for Wednesday nights because that's when Quantum Leap was on. And I love Quantum Leap. And that was the one show. It came on at 8, and it went. It was an hour-long show, and I could stay up past my bedtime and watch Quantum Leap one night a week, and it was a special night. I used to have to plan for that. I don't know. I, can, I could probably watch all of Quantum Leap. I could probably find it all online somewhere, right? We don't have to plan ahead about anything anymore. It's absolutely bonkers. And now, when we do get to those moments where we actually have to do something and then wait for the results, man, it's frustrating anymore, isn't it? We don't even like the, the idea of waiting. Like, if I do pick a show on, on Netflix, you know what I don't want to see? That little, bu- that little circle that spins with the percentage in the middle of it. And then the percentage climbs to 25% and it sits there. Well, I click the button. Give me my show. 
Like, what's happening? Why is there a problem here? I click the button, give me my show. That's all it should be. I shouldn't have to wait for it. I turn into, like, a little kid in the grocery store wanting a toy from Walmart. Like, it, I'm going back to five years old again the second I see that little spinny circle. And those Amazon packages, if they, they come in two days, they're supposed to anyway, but they better not take three. Or I'm scowling at the UPS guy when he drops them off at my door. What have you been doing? I just supposed to come yesterday. What have you been doing with that package, man? Do your job! Like, I don't know. Like, that's, it's just weird. Like, when we have to wait, it just infuriates us anymore. When I text somebody, if they're a good friend, a good enough friend, I expect to see those little reply bubbles pop up on my phone, you know? Like, Ben, you should always reply to me. I, I don't care if a few weeks of Becky's having a baby. I'm your friend, and I asked a question. You could, I want those bubbles back, man. I replied, I don't want to wait for nothing. He'll make me wait. He, he's pretty smart that way, but, but that's, <laughs> but the idea of tomorrow mattering, like, we know it in here, but we don't live it out here most of the time. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about how financial, fi- how this matters financially speaking. But let me give you another area where you say tomorrow matters, but you don't live it. With your health. You know tomorrow matters. You know you hope to be in better shape tomorrow. You know the things you eat now, the way you exercise now. You know that that's going to impact tomorrow. But you don't live like you care. I don't live like I care. I eat junk all the time. You know what my favorite time of the day is? When the kids are asleep, and I can eat food without somebody going, can I have a bite? <laughs> That's my favorite time of the day. It's quiet. I can eat whatever I want. It's wonderful, okay? And, and, and yet, I eat junk. I don't work out. I feel guilty about it like the rest of you do. I think all the time, I should work out. And then, like, the second there's, like, a warm day, you know, a few weeks ago, and I think, you know what, maybe I'm going to go outside and go for a run. I think about it for, like, five seconds. And then Girl Scout cookies come in. And then I just sit down and eat a, a, sle- a sleeve of Thin Mints and feel proud of myself because I didn't eat two. <laughs> that's the weird thing. Like, it's like, I, don't, I mean, that, that first sleeve goes by quick. It's so good. Mm, I mean, they're so wonderful. And, and that's just kind of how it goes. And I, So I live like tomorrow doesn't matter, even though I'm the one up here trying to convince you that it does. It's strange how we do this. But now, obviously, we're going to talk about this financially. So let me give you a couple of scary statistics Scary statistics about how we don't care that tomorrow matters, even though we say we do. 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, according to a recent survey done by CareerBuilder.com. 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. What that means practically is you're living on the edge of a cliff, hoping that nothing comes along to bump you over the edge. It's, it means that if someone lost their job today, they wouldn't be able to pay rent or make the mortgage payment the next time around, or maybe even buy groceries without putting it on a credit card. It's a very tight way to live, paycheck to paycheck. Another report came from bankrate.com, which said that over 59% of Americans don't have enough savings to cover an unexpected expense of $500 or more. Like, 6 out of 10 Americans don't have enough money to cover an unexpected expense of $500 or more. And that is going to happen. Do you know the average car repair cost? Five to six hundred. Yeah, five, six hundred, seven hundred, depending on who you ask. Yeah. How about, let me ask you this question. And I want everyone to participate. Even if you're not a hand raised in person, please participate because it makes a point, okay? How many of you have ever had your car break down and had to have it worked on? Now, some of you are like, I work on my own car. Yeah, good for you. Some of us are buffoons, and we can't do that. we got other skills. 
Okay? But everybody in the room almost raised their hand. So if we're all going to deal with that, and the average is five to 600, and yet six out of 10 people aren't prepared for that, what that means is it's going to happen, and it's going to slam you upside the head, and the only way you're going to be able to pay for it is by getting out a credit card and adding more debt, which we've already talked about is bad, or you're going to have to ask a, fr- a family member to help you out, and then you're going to owe them money, and that's almost worse than a credit card company sometimes. But these statistics are scary. I mean, even an unexpected injury, an ambulance ride, and boom, you're way past $500. It's nuts how quickly we can go past that, and no one is prepared for it. Now, before we go any forward, and I've given these kind of scary statistics, let me just say, I understand there are circumstances, and there are people where making it from one week to the end of next week with everything being paid, that's a legitimate victory. There are single parents who are working their tails off just to get by. I know some people who have one, two, three part-time jobs just to pay the bills and keep the kids fed. There are times where this is a leg- that is a legitimate thing. I don't want what I'm saying today to add guilt or frustration. That you know, I'm, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. I understand there are some people who are legitimately scraping by. But I also know that for the majority of us, we are living as if tomorrow doesn't matter. And that does apply to us. And we're living on the edge of a cliff just hoping nothing goes wrong. Now I want to read a couple verses of wisdom to you. And I'm just going to warn you. They're meant to be an insult to you. So if you, if you go, oh, ow, a little bit. That meant you understood what I'm reading. It's supposed to hurt a little bit. Especially if you are living on the edge when you don't have to. Proverbs 21, 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's house, or a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Meaning the wise person doesn't consume everything, he saves a little bit. Saves a little bit for a rainy day. Saves a little bit for the future. But the wise person just devours everything he has. If you look at it in money, the wise man puts something in savings every time, but the foolish person spends every dime that comes into their hand. You ever had somebody that, like, money just felt like it was burning a hole in their pocket and they just had to get rid of it as fast as they could? Like, it's like their whole life is a game of hot potato and every dollar bill is a potato. And they're just, I mean, trying to get rid of it as quickly as they can in exchange for something else. That's what it's saying. That is foolish. The second one's a little more insulting. It says, go to the ant, oh sluggard. By the way, sluggard in the Bible, don't know if you've ever done a study on this, never a compliment. Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or ruler or or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. Let me boil this down to you. This is the Anthony Bliss translation. You're dumber than an ant. If you're not saving anything, and you you possibly could save something, you're dumber than an ant. Even an ant with its insignificant, tiny little microscopic brain is smarter than you if you save nothing. It says, and, and the ant doesn't even need somebody behind it cracking the whip, telling it to do these things, telling it to be disciplined, telling it to be smart and think about tomorrow. The ant that's this big and its brain's this big, it's smart enough to know that there will come a day when the food isn't abundant and it needs to save for that day. So If you're dumber than an ant, and I hope that hurts some of your feelings because that's the point. It's supposed to hurt, and I'll tell you why. Because if you don't save for tomorrow, tomorrow's going to hurt a lot worse than these insults. 
We have to be people who think about tomorrow, plan for tomorrow. Even ants are smart enough to do that. Now, uh, to shift analogies here a little bit, most of us, we think about our life as, as a sprinter. We're trying to get through the month. We're trying to get through the week. And if we do that with all enough money, if we can, if we can run out a month before we run out of money, we win. That's kind of how we look at it, or the week, whatever you want time limit you want to sit there. But we need to be marathon runners. We need to be people who think about how am I going to get through an entire lifetime. We need to step back from the week, from the month mentality, and look at how our entire lives are going to shape up. And that's how we need to live. And so we need to save for tomorrow. Save for the future. Because if tomorrow matters, and I know many of you believe that it does, it's time that we live like tomorrow actually mattered. So we're going we're to save in three different ways. Three different ways that we're going to save for tomorrow, okay? The first one, we're going to save for purchases. Now, there's not a lot of verses about saving for purchases in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. In ancient times, they did not have the ridiculous freedom for credit that we do. There was mention of credit and mention of loans, but it wouldn't have been on, like, every little thing like it is today, okay? That's just not how it existed. If you didn't have money to buy a thing in the ancient world, guess what? You didn't buy that thing, that's just no money, no stuff. That's just how it was, okay? And so there's not a lot of verses explaining that we need to save for stuff like this. But by golly, I don't have to save for anything. I could go into Walmart, get one tube of chapstick, scan it at the self-checkout, and put it on my credit card if I wanted to. We can buy anything without saving for it first. But I think we need to shift that and save for purchases. You see, because all we do when it comes to purchases is we, we don't have the money, so we put it on a card, and then we make payments for it. All that this situation is, is you just reverse the process. You just say, I'm going to wait and not buy that. And then you start making payments to yourself for that thing. And then when you've got the money, then you go buy the thing, whatever it might be. And there are so many things that we buy on credit and we end up spending, spending more than it's worth. And secondly, we are promising away our future. You see, if you buy, I don't know, a couch, so you buy like the coolest, awesome couch refrigerator, you know, some's got those little coolers in it, you know, and the armrest, some of them, that, you know, that you roll back and then they give you the vibrate, take the, let's say you buy a sweet couch for like $4,000, okay, and you put that on credit, three years, same as cash, so if you pay it off in 36 months, you don't have to pay any extra interest on it, right, let's say you do that, even if you're able to pay it off in that time, what you're still doing is you're promising the next three years, guaranteeing the next three years, you're going to have a job, you're going to have the same amount of income. Nothing else is going to go wrong that requires that money. You're promising a future that you have no ability to control. And so saving for purchases is a much safer way to live. It's a much safer, more easy way to not be sleeping on the edge of the cliff all the time. And it's not you promising that you can control the future. I mean, hopefully nothing goes wrong, and hopefully you're able to pay it off. But stuff happens, which brings us to the next thing we're going to save for. Emergencies. Here's the thing about emergencies. Every time something happens, we're always like, whoa, something happened. And we freak out, and we're so shocked, right? It's like someone just pulled the rug out from under us. Oh, no, my car broke. Oh, no, my furnace stopped working on the coldest day of the year. How many of you ever had your car break in the, or the furnace break down on the coldest day of the year? Happened a few years ago to us on New Year's Day. Not only were we cold, we had to call somebody on a weekend on a holiday. It's just like somebody just keep kicking me, why don't you? Like, come on, of all the days, holiday pay, so expensive, you know? So that stuff happens. 
Why are we surprised about it? Things happen, things break all the time. Again, I couldn't find a a huge verse about this necessarily in Scripture because the the things that we consider emergencies, those weren't things they had to deal with. Okay, they didn't have to make emergency trips to the ER. There was an accident. You probably just died. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't come home at the end of the day to find the fridge stopped working right after they left for work and all the food is ruined and there's water all over the floor. That wasn't a thing, right? But those things are a thing in our lives and we need to be prepared for them. And if you are, if if you treat emergencies like they're never going to happen, you are kidding yourself. If you live like it's never going to happen to you, you're kidding yourself. In fact, If it has been a while since something broke, since some kid shattered something, brace yourself. It's coming. Because that's just how it is. Every couple years, man, that's just how it's going to happen. Both of my kids, not even seven yet, both of them broken bones. Doing what? Being a kid? I kind of helped with one of them, and I still feel bad about it, but either way. (laughs) So you got to save for those things. Um, the expert that I tend to listen to is Dave Ramsey. He says, start off by putting a thousand bucks in the bank if you are able, because that will prevent you, or that will give you enough money to pay for most of the smaller emergencies. You know, the alternator goes out, your refrigerator breaks, that kind of stuff. It'll, it'll pay for a lot of that. Not everything, but a lot of, uh, a lot of those little emergencies. So save for emergencies. Second, or third thing, excuse me, save for retirement. Now, the Bible also doesn't include the American ideal of retirement which is I turn 65 and now I get a vacation for the next however long I got. And I, I sit around and I shirk responsibilities and I go to the beach and I go to this place and I go, that's not in the Bible either. Here, let me tell you what I, I mean when I say retirement, okay? Because the Bible does talk about this. There will come a day when your body gets to a certain age and it breaks down to the point where you are no longer able to take care of yourself and you will need others to care for you. You will not be able to earn income through doing, holding a job because your body just isn't there anymore. And it's one of the most sad realities of humanity, but it is a reality of who we are. And we need to prepare for it. I can't tell you how many people I see in those later years in life are angry. Well, everybody else I've ever known got old and died, but I can't believe it's happening to me. And it's like, I know I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not saying I'm better than them, and I'm, I'll, gonna be, I'll be shocked by it too, I know. But I think there's, on some level, we need to understand, that's going to happen. I, I can, if I can work now, then I need to take something and put it somewhere so that when I can no longer function in that way, I can take care of myself. I'm not going to ditch that bill on my kids and my grandkids or whoever, but I just want to be able to have the end of my life being taken care of. And so these are things that we've got to think about. We've got to save for. The Bible says, in our house, the wise store, but the fool burns through everything. Can't stand to save a lick of it. Burns through absolutely everything. And so I want to encourage you, when it comes to finances, and you're thinking about tomorrow mattering, these are three things that you need to start thinking about, very seriously thinking about. And I'll tell you, if you don't save at all right now, and statistics show that after that last financial crash in 07, we all started saving, and then... Since the, you know, in the 11 years since then, we forgot how much we needed to save, and we're all back to spending more than we make, statistically speaking. If you're not saving anything, let me just warn you, it means you're going to have to look at everything you have, and you're going to have to scale back your lifestyle. You're going to have to free up some money that you can take and set aside. And then if you really are a person who loves burning through money, you're going to see that money start to build up in a savings account or in a retirement account, and you're going to think, I could get a boat. I could get a new tractor. I'm talking to a farming crowd, so I know. I had a couple of farmers like, what? 
Don't be talking to me, boy. You farmers, you could bury me someplace in the ground, and I'd never be found ever. I get that. So just saying, I'll hide behind the Bible if I have to. But that's something we need to think about. Now, I do want to talk, shift gears here a little bit, and talk about one place where tomorrow matters even more than finances. Because, like I said, it's a sad reality that our bodies break down, and we'll get to a point where we can no longer make money. But another reality is that our bodies are going to break down to the point where they don't work at all anymore. And death will be a thing that every one of us will go through. And at that point, no amount of money is really going to help us. And when we die, there's a bigger issue at stake. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, just as, it, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So it says we're all going to die. It's appointed. Every person is going to die. But then it says there's even something for us after death, that our life as a human being does not end with physical death, that there is life beyond death. And it says the thing that we are going to encounter beyond death is judgment. And that's not a word that we like. That's not a word that we look forward to. But, it, but the word judgment means that we will be held accountable for how we live. Now let me tell you how most of us think about judgment. We see a scale. You ever think, seen like, you know, that statue, Justice is Blind, blindfolded with a scale, you know, the two-sided scale? We look at the two-sided scale and we see one side is where the good things go that we've done and the other side is where the bad things go that we've done. And we think, if we can just get more things on the good side than the bad side, we go to heaven. If it's more things on the bad side than the good side, we go to hell. So let's say you spend your whole life doing good things. You've done, yeah, of course you've done bad things. We all have. And you want to load up the good side. And you think, I'm good. I'm going to go to heaven. But let me tell you something. Good does not outweigh bad. Good does not wash away bad. And you know that if you really ever stop and think about it. I mean, even if you looked at how our justice system functions. Let's pick somebody who um, everybody knew was a, would say was a good person. Uh, Mother Teresa. If you don't know who Mother Teresa is, I know she's been gone for a number of years now. But Mother Teresa spent her entire life well into her elderly years caring for people who were suffering from a disease that was contagious. It was quite frankly, gross and disgusting to deal with, lots of problems, lots of, of just nasty stuff in that, and she gave her life, lived her life in poverty to deal with people who nobody else wanted to be around. And, I mean, everybody, she's a saint, man. She is, she is a wonderful person. So let's say Mother Teresa lives her whole life doing that kind of stuff, and then one day she's just in a bad mood and she stabs somebody to death. She goes to jail, goes before the judge at the court. The judge's not going to go, well, you, you did a lot of stuff that was really good, and you only stabbed one guy. I guess we'll let you go. No. Why? Because the good, no matter how much good there is, it doesn't wipe away the bad. And the same is true of my life and your life. The bad, that's just stuff we are accountable for, and we will face when it comes to judgment at the end of this life. And I don't know about you, but if I am to be judged on the bad things I'm done, I'm in trouble. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I ain't done my share of stupid things. I've probably done more than some of you in this room. And I used to, man, I used to love doing stupid things. It was like the favorite pastime of a number of years. And I wanted to get everybody else to do stupid things with me. Stupid's fun in a group. It is. And if that's what I'm, if that's what, I still do bad things, by the way. I'm not totally fixed yet. I'm still, I'm a work in progress, okay? But if, if that's the stuff that I'm going to be judged on, if I'm going to have to pay for that, then that's not going to go well for me. If I have to be free of all bad things to go to heaven, then I'm, I'm bound to hell at that judgment. 
And so if we're going to hope to have anything past judgment, if we, if we believe tomorrow matters, especially that eternal tomorrow on the other side of this death, we are going to need some help, and that help comes to us in Jesus. The next verse in Hebrews says, So Christ, there's a judgment after we die. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So Christ came once to take my sin and your sin. Everything that was on the wrong side of that scale, he took all of it on his shoulders and he died for it. He took a punishment so that you would not have to. And so then he's going to come again. And not, not to deal with the sin again, because that's done. Once for all, he wiped it away clean. It's not an issue anymore. He's going to come again to rescue us out of that judgment and take us to the perfection of heaven so that our tomorrow will be secure. Now, this issue of tomorrow is, not, is a lot bigger than money. It's a lot bigger than finances because our eternity is going to last so long that it's going to make this life look like a tiny little blip on the radar. Like, like it's going to make this life seem so insignificant and so meaningless and so brief. And so that means everybody, every human being that breathes air is going to spend eternity forever somewhere. Hell or heaven. Hell if we're judged by our own merits. Heaven if we let Jesus rescue us away from ourselves. And so I want to ensure, if I'm going to talk about tomorrow mattering, I, I cannot, cannot neglect to talk about your eternal tomorrow. And maybe when I was talking about that financial stuff, you thought, oh gosh, I'm so far in debt, Anthony. I'll never be able to save anything ever. This was a hopeless message, right? Well, yeah, maybe your financial life is a mess and it's going to take a while to dig out of that and today's not the day for that. I understand. But let me tell you, your eternal future can be set, can be taken care of today in Christ. His arms are always open and ready for, to, to receive you. His arms are always open and ready to hand salvation, to take care of your wrongs and wipe them away by the power of his blood. He is ready to take you into his life and give you a secure future in heaven, an eternal tomorrow in heaven. And so if you're here and you would like to be, if you would like to receive that gift of salvation, What's going to happen is I'm going to stop talking in just a minute. I will. I'm going to go into my office. I'm going to take off my microphone. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to stand in the back of the room for the rest of the service. And if you would like to have Jesus or at least talk about having Jesus as your Savior, come talk to me in the back of the room. And then if the service ends and you think, I should have talked and I didn't, come grab me. I usually stick around after the service. Or if you want to set something up to meet through the rest of the week, I would love to talk with you about this. There's nothing that I love more than talking to people about how Jesus is their way, their truth, their life, and their hope. But I need you to always understand, if nothing else, I, I, I need you to start thinking about how tomorrow matters, especially your eternal tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our eyes would be on eternity. Sometimes we get too stuck in the here and now because our life is a here and now existence. Everything is instantaneous. We don't have to look up to tomorrow. But I pray that we would be able to lift our heads up and understand that human life is, uh, it's, a, it's happening. It's, tr it's going. We're not, we can't stop time. We can't stop aging. And we need to save for those things of which we can save. We need to plan for a day when our situation changes. And even more than how we spend our money on purchases, on on emergencies or retirement, even more than that stuff, the financial side of it, there's an eternal side, the, the, thing that, the side that Jesus came to save us from.
so that we wouldn't spend eternity in hell, but we would have a tomorrow that is beautiful, a tomorrow of joy and peace, a tomorrow with no sadness, tears, death, or pain ever again. And so I pray that we would be people who seek out that better eternal tomorrow. I pray that you would draw us closer to you so that that eternal tomorrow is always in the front of our mind. It's something that always gives us hope. It's something that always enables us to get through the day. It's something that gives us a clearer focus so that we live more for your good works and less for our own selfishness because our own selfishness, all it did was add to the bad side of the scale that Jesus had to come and fix anyway. So thank you for Christ and the salvation he offers. May we all be people who are ready to receive it so that at the end of this life, we would be eagerly ready to see his face and receive his salvation. Thank you for salvation in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.